Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Great Rift podcast. I'm David. I'm Jamie. How is stuff, Jamie? I'm good. I can't believe we're on episode, what was it, 22? 22, yeah. Wow. Cruising through. We're, we're above drinking age in the States now. <laughs> Our podcast could drink, yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So, uh this is quite a timely recording for us really isn't it based on our last um episode which I think lots of listeners enjoyed um our graham mcneil um graham mcneil uh, recording which was an absolute pleasure and quite a bucket list thing for me oh yeah definitely it's, it's well actually that kind of came off us i put on twitter saying we were this was our next review and then he replied to that and then we just got in a conversation with like do you want to do an interview? And he's like, yeah, cool. So that's, yeah. that's how that came about, really. But yeah. Yeah, yeah it was an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, so like I say, timely, as you say, because we've, we've shouted about doing the next book, which is uh, Angel Exterminatus. I think I'm saying that right. Is it Exterminatus or Natus? Yeah, yeah I would. Sounds okay. right. The old, old bonky Latin. That <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm going to put you on the spot, Jay. Um what is the sort of high level blurb of angels exterminatus angel exterminatus well as the front cover says subtitle flesh and iron i think that pretty much sums up this book the two there's the two main well the main focus of this book is the iron warriors and i think we just discussed this before the show i think this is the main introduction of the iron warriors in the heresy and it's quite a few books in i mean i think there's probably a few small stories short stories of iron warriors but this is like the first book focused on them and right. also on perturabo so yeah. it kind of focuses on them at this point in the Horus heresy as well as introducing back into the story the empress children and fulgrim specifically fulgrim um he's, he's quite a big focus of, of this book um and there's their interaction and they're sort of going on a quest for this fabled weapon of the angel exterminatus into what we later well uh, we later find out is into the eye of terror uh, but it's not, it doesn't get it gets given that name actually in this book as well so that's quite yeah. a, a key key part of the story but yeah they go they go hunting for this elder super well at the beginning we get called a super weapon this big weapon and this is what perturabe thinks he's been going looking for to help help win the war for the well i say traitors but to them they're not traitors to the i've uh, always wondered that would you consider yourself a traitor if you'd rebelled <laughs> if that part in like the mitchell web sketch when they're nazis and they're like we are we the bad guys <laughs> Yeah. In the universe of Nazis, they're all bad guys. <laughs> We've got skulls in our caps. That's usually <laughs> not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, good, uh, good summary. That is literally that. It's um, yeah, it's it's the 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 journey of Perturabo, sort of post um post Istvan, um, where where he played his card, um, and he helped set up the sort of devastation, the smashing mm-hmm. of three legions. Um, you know, he was instrumental in that putting up the walls around the drop site, causing that drop site massacre, sort of like how he's how he's continued on from there. Um, man full of many grudges, uh, which is quite an interesting thing. Um, he's, a dour, he's a dour man, I'll give you that. Oh, God, yeah, miserable as sin. Um, and what I would say, uh, just to, just to I, I do believe I've read this somewhere, is this is a spiritual sequel of Fulgrim, um, the, the, uh, uh, the book about Fulgrim and the Emperor's Children and their fall. 
and they, you can read them back to back and they work quite well you know it's only a couple of years later i think this one from fulgrim and if memory serves me correctly they this book is like the first time we see them again properly off the back of uh fulgrim the book mm-hmm. um so you know we, we watched that full of the emperor's children and it gets quite hellraisery and quite carnival of horror like <laughs> yeah. and then we see them in this and they've gone even further so Ooh. now yeah. now we're in the sort of uh the, the 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 blossoming of corruption now we're in the oh yeah we're fully there you know <laughs> it's 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 bon- and there's a bit in this scene which we'll talk about which is like whoa okay yeah. <laughs> this is yeah, yeah this is progressed but, and it's worth clarifying there was one or two short stories in between Fulgrim and this which which explored um if uh, for, again we're full of spoilers so uh, you've been warned we talk about absolutely everything um Fulgrim at the end of Fulgrim we assumed he was trapped in that painting right and the demon had overtaken his Primark mm-hmm. body yeah. what you find out in between that and this is actually that kind of was the case but not really Fulgrim's got it back um so he is himself and he's fully embraced Slanesh and is on the path to super damnation which um is a big part of this story and it's um is he the first to ascend i think he might be yeah yeah i think he is he is oh well wait more well, it's either him or angron depends where, where betrayer maybe betrayer is slightly before i'm actually not sure but that's one for our listeners tell us in the comments on instagram or something give us a shout let us know what the timeline is did angron come first or was it fulgrim um i'm keen to know well, uh, Angron sort of gets made. He doesn't. He's not necessarily a voluntary choice, though, is it? So it's kind of. No, no, true. Um, I guess you could argue if you've been corrupted, is it your choice at all? You're sort of past the point of no return, aren't you? So yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, before we go into the characters, Jay, just a reminder for our listeners: we always start with some of the sort of primary characters across the different legions or, or whatever faction they do. And then we'll sort of go through our favourite plot points um, in, the, in the second half of the episode. But before we do that, Jay, what would you say like are the, the core big themes of this story? Like what jumped out at you when you finished it? Um, as I say, it's the first time we meet Perturabo. And for me, it was kind of a good exploration of his character. And his character is from what I was reading was he's very different to the rest of the quotation marks traitor primarchs I'll say um he's it's his explanation of his character why he's like he is in some ways the way he treats his legion but it's also that quest is a lot of about <clears throat> as his character is who he can trust um in this setup that now that he's in like now he's made his side um and he's chosen where he wants to go is now is he fully comfortable in that position that he's chosen is is he happy with the decision he's made is he happy with who he's going to have to work with and etc and such and his motives for moving forward as well as his the that um, relationship into um his legion as well as this it's it's also a good point in this book is that it's kind of um it's one of those steps where actually it focuses quite a lot on the Xenos race. Like the Eldar are introduced in this quite a lot, which I, in a lot of past heresy books is not really explored that much. It's very much focused on Legion on Legion action. Oi, oi. But this is this definitely has a focus on 
other races in in the world at the minute in going on as well so um that was quite interesting for me actually i thought it was a, a slight change of pace in terms of yeah having a focus on 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 the elder aspects of, of 40k yeah. or of 30k heresy yeah yeah i think that's a really interesting point and and just touching on that that um imperial view on a xenos race you know we forget as readers we've got a lot of back knowledge but actually mm-hmm. they're not that well known by a lot of the legions they don't recognize a lot of the stuff that they see um, and we do you know we've got our brains are full of it and I, I do i quite like that that sort of yeah word it's like the precursor to how the galaxy is going to be for the next ten thousand years like you know people are going to start you know, space marines are going to start coming across this stuff a lot more um which is pretty cool um yeah nice nice i think um your point on um uh, it's about perturabo is he happy with the loyalties he's made and the decisions he's, he's come to i think a very important point for me is he was exceptionally unhappy with his lot under the emperor because he's always seen as mm-hmm. um doing the dog's body work people like especially dawn getting the glory um while they were always made to set up shop and defend you know <laughs> the shit out of other stuff yeah you kind of see how it happens it's like oh there go the imperial fists and the ultramarines you know and the sons of oh, what would have been the the lunar wolves conquering all these planets and then along come the iron warriors a little bit later and they build the castles and they sit there for years doing nothing and you can feel that kind of resentment building and building from like time and yeah this is the first time we see him going it's kind of that thing isn't it is, is the grass greener is, is the grass really greener on the other side mm-hmm. and exactly yeah probably isn't <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's also just been tasked doing the same stuff <laughs> again just for a different person at this point yeah, so. yeah. i think um another thing that jumped out for me is um the iron warriors are a fantastic um i guess the word is mirror for the emperor's children because we, we're we, you know if you've read the horace heresy books enough we've had more than enough exposure to get intimate with well, i don't know if i want to get intimate with the emperor's children but but, yeah. but you know, we know we know their psyche and we know that what what how they work and how depraved and weird they are the iron warriors are a fantastic mirror to that in that they are cold logic they are I guess passionate in the sense of you know they they fight to the last man and they will take that all down even if it's one left and they'll kill you with their bare hands but they're not they're not self-centered like every goddamn emperor's children is where it is very hedonistic and it's all about me 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 and what can i get pleasure out of and i think that, that you know when it, from every level right when you put perturabo up next to Thorgrim, right down to when you see captains and captains talking or even just battle brothers talking they are so different in how they mm-hmm. operate it's a really good exercise in um yes we have super armored super powered superhumans but at the core i mean as graham talked about at their core they're very individual characters um as a legion um especially compared to 40k space marines who are all psycho indoctrinated maniacs you see a whole host of personalities in this book which i think is quite interesting yeah i'd agree like especially as compared to the other traitor legions actually they've not they're still much, pretty much what they were before they declared with Horus. I mean, like, you know, compared to Night Lords have their thing. You can tell they look kind of like bad guys to me. Emperor's children, really weird. look like bad guys to me. Mm-hmm. Iron Warriors at this point, they're still just Iron Warriors. Like, they're just still kind of space marines. There's nothing really, uh, they don't have a, like, they don't have a kink at the minute. <laughs> they're like, they're yeah. just kind of 
they've got their thing and it's not but it's not chaosy it's not weird it's not warpy at this point anyway i mean and i think they get used in 40k a lot as a proto proto bad guy big iron metal space marine but in, in this in this book they're kind of you could if you told me you didn't know anything and you read this book you would go these guys don't seem like the bad guys of the story like they seem like standard space marines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and we start to see that um what's the, what's that term is the second you flirt with chaos is it's got its hooks in you and you can't escape it you you are downed it's unavoidable i mean you see it in every inquisitor related story right mm-hmm. second the second you flirt with it you are damned you you you're beyond you've gone over the line and you start to see it in this one with a couple of the sort of captain characters that they they don't even realize they're flirting with it but they are it's there they've made their bed but yeah, yeah but it's all like they've not hunted it out like say log like you know um Lorgar and his 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 lot and and the and the emperor's children themselves so they've they obviously they've gone for it and they've they've looked for something and grasped it whereas the iron warriors i feel more more like by what they've decided is that by being in that lot they've sort of tainted themselves because of it and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of that interesting thing about Perty is he's so decisive in war you know the application of statistics mm-hmm. and math and I don't know if it's this book or if it's in a separate one. Uh, it might be a short story. One of the only times we've seen them prior to this, the Battle of Fowl, which was before. Um, yeah, it's before. before, it's. before um, <clears throat> the Iron Warriors ambush Imperial fists, um, and you find out that like they don't use, uh, they don't have screens up on their battleships. They have shutters all the time because they just use their cogitators in front. You know, the math should always be perfect. Therefore, you don't <laughs> yeah. use ships. Um, you know that that's that's quite interesting to me that this idea of them they're so dis- dissociated from any sort of repercussions of of what they're doing it's just we're doing our jobs we're going forward we're being space marines we're, we're applying logic and math but they just don't have any emotional resonance and chaos is completely emotional resonance and i think that's where their corruption comes from is that they that gets brought out of them more and more especially in characters like kroger you know where he goes yeah. from being this kind of standard captain to Go, I'll touch on another point about other books by Graham, but you can tell he's getting more and more berserky. <laughs> <laughs> Angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it, I think it's an important part of the Iron Warriors is they are cold to the core. You know, they are the absolute opposite of the Emperor's children. They're the perfect mirror. They, they have nothing in them that makes them very passionate about stuff. It's all just um, as you go. They are iron. They are iron, yeah. Um so there's one more thing I wanted to touch on before we go into the characters, and it's the idea of um, the the mass the mass war machine versus the uh, flexible problem solving uh, combatants. So we've got the main story of the Iron Warriors and the Empress Children, but this is our main introduction into um, what we, what is known collectively as the Shattered Legions, which for those of you that may not know is the three legions that were absolutely decimated well decimation isn't even a big word that's only one in ten absolutely obliterated yeah. uh, uh Istvan five um when the traitors absolutely just wiped the floor of them so that's the uh raven guard salamanders and iron hands um uh they, they get called the shatter legion and they basically have to just grab whoever they can when they were trying to escape 
So what ended up happening is all these those three loyalist legions escaping that planet after Horus pulled off the the old one two. Um, they all get mixed up, so they spend the whole war as three legions just scattered all over the galaxy, doing hit and run stuff under the leadership of someone very mysterious called Shadrach Medusan, and we get to know quite well a single what well, well, actually does get called a cell eventually. Yeah, a cell. Yeah. Got the spirit of Vietnam or like the spirit of Star Wars, which took inspiration from Vietnam War. This idea of if you had ten people who were super flexible and could do loads of different things versus a very big, slow, movable Death Star, what could you actually achieve? And so we get to know this the, the ship called the Cesophium. And I think it's a fantastic little insight into not every bloody war in the Horus Heresy was Legion smashing Legion. It was little tactical squads just destroying supply lines or raiding a city to carve comms or you know this huge impact which may be small but if you do enough small things you can beat the big bad um and i think that's a really yeah. interesting thing it's the first time we've really seen that in the heresy yeah i agree it's like um like they're like they're like a terror cell and and they make a good point it's like obviously one of them knows they don't have a prime lock anymore the iron hands at this point ferris is dead so they know that the other two are having to act like they don't obviously we know spoilers we know that actually Korax and Vulcan are, are still alive at this point but they're having to operate on the principle of that they no longer have a leading Primarch to tell them what to do like every other legion up to this point has a figurehead and they take event you know they take their overorders from that demigod of a person these people now are they're having to make their decisions as space marines like having to make their own decisions about what they do and they like well and they go for this hit and run aspect which as we probably found out it does actually slow down Horus quite a lot and probably yeah. does quite allow so. terror to prepare for the assault so yeah you know their, their attitude is very much every day they slow it down is another day for dawn to mm. bolt through another door you know it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just slow it down slow it down but you know <laughs> It's been written before. That was Lucas's inspiration for Rebel Alliance in Star Wars was, was how the Vietnam War was conducted. And it's this idea of, well, Sun Tzu, isn't it? Don't don't fight them where they want you to fight. Don't, you know, where they don't want you to be, be there. That kind of thing. It's all very, very apparent in this. And I think that's a really nice, it's really nice to experience that as as uh, you know, up to this point in the books. Horus has been winning everything. You know, there's been so few situations where the good guys are starting to claw back space and and time, and you just get to see some sick stuff in this. There's a lot of comeuppance, which I think is rad. <laughs> it's not very rad stuff. Um, cool. So that's sort of the, the high level themes in the story. So shall we jump into talking about some of the characters, Jamie? Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. There's, there's quite a lot of characters in this book, so we'll probably focus on the main the main ones yeah for sure i think um uh for, the, for any new listeners uh, um just, just or any old ones that need reminding we don't cover everything in these reviews because we're a big believer in trying to keep it to about an hour so that you're not sitting there for hours listening to us drone it's not that i know, I know we have very sultry lovely voices but <laughs> forever. so what we'll do is we'll just cover off some of the big players in the books and when we get to the plot some of the big bits of the plot that we think are cool but I advise just listen to it or go read it because it's really excellent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's focus on the Iron Warriors for about 10, 15. So we've got the big boy himself, the old Da Vinci of the future. Um, yeah. yeah. Turtle Rabo. So 
for those of you who don't know, uh, he's one of the Primarchs that was scattered across the galaxy um, when the Emperor created them and they all got pinged around by chaos. He was raised on Olympia, um, which immediately just conjures up like very Greco imagery for me. You know, like yeah, 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 like men with like yeah, big white tables and stuff. Um, but it's an interesting one with him, where a lot of people landed on awful planets full of you know toxic waste, like Mortarian, or you know Rubiculumin landed on like a Utopia. Perturabo landed and wandered for a bit as a kid, killing monsters, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then was adopted. And the really interesting part of his psyche, which we'll talk about in a bit when it comes to his later life, is that the the, the family that adopted him, he had no love for. It was quite a religious uh, religious society. So while he accepted the things that he had to do, like helping them with warfare and, and his love of creation, and, and, you know, he's an architectural genius and creates all sorts of little gadgets and toys, and pretty sure we see him playing Warhammer at one point later on in the book. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. He's definitely got, like, a little handmade, like, crafted toy of a titan on his crafting table. He does. It's one of the best scenes in this book we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So great. Um, uh, he sort of just accepts that that is his job, but he was never happy. And I think that's a running theme throughout this is he is just, he doesn't know what makes him happy, but nothing he does makes him happy. So he accepted the role of the sort of, uh, the, the, the adopted son that just had to crack on with life. And like a lot of them helped conquer the planet that he grew up on. Um, and yeah, you know, the emperor finds him and gets given him his legion. Question for you, Jay, before we go on to stuff about him in this book, <laughs> he did the day he got given his legion by the emperor. Did he do like a decimation or something? Yeah, or, which is yeah. why the word was in my head earlier. He did a decimation because he yeah. was so, so disappointed with the uh, performance of the Iron Warriors Legion before he got given it that he made for every ten men he made them kill one of them at random. <laughs> so he's so good that that actually happened in history as well. That is like real history. That's yeah, pretty cool yeah, by yeah. Roman legions. <laughs> yeah, it's how they stopped dissent. So like, if yeah. you were pissing around and you went out on the piss when you were meant to be guarding a wall, they wouldn't punish you. They'd randomly select one of, out of ten men and have the other nine kill them as punishment for your mistake. It makes you also look out for everyone else because it's like, I don't want to have to kill someone like my own mate. So kind of, can you please behave, please? Because I don't have to kill you. Like... Um, it's that scale of um, the threat and the galaxy and what you have to do, isn't it? It's like, that's probably the shortest and sharpest way of Perturabo being able to deal with discipline and performance. Within yeah. the as he took it on, it's awful, and it says a lot about his psyche. He's um, as talking to one of our fellow uh, hobby friends, James. He was like, he made a really, really great point: is that Perturabo treats every single warrior he has, every relationship he has, as a tool. And when the tool's not working, he'll break it, or if it's useless, he'll try and fix it in the most sort of rudimentary mechanical way possible. And it says a lot about him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's um, there's an aspect of the a logical way of thinking, and that is, yeah, discipline to do it that quickly and that efficiently is to him the most logical way. And yeah, yeah. damned if he does, damn, damned if he, like, damn if he doesn't want to do it. I'm just gonna do it. So yeah, yeah. Um, so what uh, are if you would mind just touching on a few of the bits in the book that you thought really carried out his psyche. I don't know if you want to save some of the bits for the, when we talk about the story or if you want to bring some of it into now. Like, what do you think stood out in the book that really heightened his personality to you? Um, I think one of the best bits, like right at the beginning about what we see about him is um, 
when we get into his little inner sanctum, his little, his little homemade labyrinth that he's created, um, which is just amazing that he's created. He, he's discovered his plans from, I think it, it's insinuating it's from an ancient, because he says it's an old, you know, ancient terror plan. So I think it's presuming as an insinuation that it's from Crete, as in the labyrinth. On, on yeah. Ancient Greek Crete. So I think that's it's presuming it's that. So he's, he's created this that gets transported and remade everywhere that he goes. Top secret, but yeah, um, but no of it. Yeah, um, but when we get when we actually eventually get in there, it's like it's a little small kind of small room that he's created, and it's just covered in like architectural drawings, and it's um, little as he said, little clockwork things, and it's it's his love for. As you say, like he's not really happy, but you feel that he thinks that he would be the happiest is when he's digging in the dirt as a, like an archaeologist almost. He's searching for past um, treasures of, of you know, you know, as we always say, like Greek Roman treasures of of these architectural buildings and also making, creating little, you know, like drawing these. Um, uh, like plans for little clockwork items, as well as, um, you know, these vast buildings. And in one part of the story, he's drawn this plan for this huge amphitheater that Fulgrim make, like, says, we'll build it. And there's a bit of like an underconfidence as well in him in aspects. It's yeah. like, where he's like, oh, you know, I've done this great plan, but you know what, I'm just not, I don't want to build it. I'm a bit unsure about building it until he gets pushed to do it. And it's like, everyone's like, wow, this building is like beautiful and immense and this stuff. So it's kind of like that juxtaposition of his character that he actually is quite um quite delicate in that the manner of that he builds what he builds and quite artistic as well and what he creates so there's this, this juxtaposition to his how he is as a logical character but also there is like an artistic side to him that i think if he was a, if he wasn't a primarch is probably what he would be doing yeah i completely agree and that's that's where the crux of his sort of I wouldn't say hatred because I don't think he hated the emperor. I think his he was swayed to Horus's side because of his lo- loyalty, and mm-hmm. probably swayed him with the idea of I'll put you to what you love doing, and what he loves doing, like you say, is creation. He's he's he he hates that he's a destroyer of stuff. His yeah. job is just to smash down walls, and he wants to build the most beautiful stuff. Like you know, I think he has a drawing on his wall of one of Leonardo da Vinci's original like helicopter ideas. Yeah, 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 I think something like that. Yeah. And he's um, he just loves looking for these documents and these and he spends a lot of his time and effort has been alluded to is searching on in the Emperor's Palace searching for these these kind of documents. And I think some some of them some of the other alluded some of the other primates to take the mick out of him for it. But um he's a massive nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's uh, yeah there's that and he actually alludes to actually he quite likes the emperor like he maybe doesn't like the role he was assigned he can understand the role why he was assigned that role but he also looked very lovingly onto the last time the emperor spoke to him and it was quite a he looks and looks upon that as quite a, like a great day for him and yeah, it, yeah so um there's something i just wanted to touch on um there's two things that just jumped out to my mind in my notes so one of them is his um, going back to his sort of kind of emotionless about his men is I think he's the only Primarch I can think of whose bodyguard aren't his brightest and best. Yes. Yeah. He has yeah. um, he has what is it nine robots around him called the, the, iron, so the iron, iron Circle. circle. 
they're the AI, not AI, but they're like mind linked to him, and they carry these like massive nine foot shields made of whatever. Um, the same, probably ceramite, whatever it's called, the stuff space Armor armor's made of. And they, yeah, they, you know, they stomp around with him in a big circle and don't let him get hit by anything. And they're robots. They, you know, they're not humans. He doesn't surround himself with the best he has because I don't think he has any affinity or connection. Probably a little bit of arrogance there in the sense of probably doesn't think they're even smart enough, you know, to, to be around him where the likes of Rabu Gilliman have his brightest and best from all sorts of ranks there to challenge him. You challenge Perturabo, you get killed. <laughs> Even as an Iron Warrior. <laughs> yeah. I think Paul tried to model them as well, don't they? They're called like the Domitor yeah, Battle Automata or something. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it is the Iron Circle. Um, yeah. they, they're like contempt to dreadnought size, but they've got those like huge hammers and massive shields. They're pretty, pretty blast. Yeah. Um, so that, and the last bit was um, even though he, he does it's interesting his take on chaos because he doesn't see it as a entity that lives in another dimension he sees it as something scientific he can learn um but the interesting point of that is we learn in the story he's been able to see the eye of terror his whole life yeah like, he's been able to look up at the sky wherever he is and he can just see it he knows where it is at all times so i mean he's been seeded since birth to fall he's had no choice in it in my opinion which is unfortunate um it's probably tainted him forever um poor poor Percy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a, kind it's of a over, yeah, it's just like this thing just hanging over him all the time, isn't it? It's yeah. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Percy is a sort of I'd say our main character of the book. The majority of it is from his point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing we've not touched on very quickly, and we'll go on to it when we talk about the story, is his fighting prowess. He is a absolute monster. Like he is on the tabletop. He's, you can forget that Primarchs are just wrecking balls. And yeah. you see it very early in the book, him just taking out 20 Imperial Fists in the you know, space of a minute. Just jumps in them. I think he blows one of their hands off just because of his heated jetpack landing next to the guy. You know, it's, <laughs> it's fucking really cool. Um, so, interesting thing and he's about... Got, I was going to say, at this point as well, he's got... Has he got Ferris Manus's hammer? Uh, I think he does, yeah. Forge Breaker. Yeah, so he's got given that by Fulgrim. Yeah, yeah. Or oh, maybe was it Horus gave it to him? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, Horus. Yeah, Horus, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Horus gave it to him. I think Horus gave the anathema to Fulgrim. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, touching on the other Iron Warrior characters that we meet, um, talking about how he does, he's not that close to his men, he does have an interesting outside of the normal Legion structure, a uh, thing called the Trident. So, mm-hmm. again, le- leaning into that Greco sort of imagery. Um, the Trident is like an ever-shifting best three sort of captains or warsmiths or whatever that he puts together as a sort of council of, of opinions. Yeah, it's like his Mourneville, basically. Like Horace's yeah. Mourneville, yeah, it's his version of it. But I would I would angle that I don't think he treats them the way Horace would treat his Mourneville. No, no. They're much more there for just advice, or not advice, recommendations on plans of attack. They're not there to challenge him because you see it the first time you meet the current trident they are just immediately on their knees and almost like hesitant to be around him yeah well just before this but there's a character um is it barossus who is he's not he's not a member of the trident but didn't he deliver him bad news and didn't literally he pummeled him to now he has to be in a dreadnought yeah 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 (laughs) he's a warsmith and he gets annihilated for delivering bad news 
Yeah. So they're terrified of of of, uh, of Purdue. They always have been. Um, but yeah, we um, the Trident does consist of another character whose name escapes me. But we will see when we talk about the plot. Um, one of them gets removed from his rank, not killed. Uh, hardcore, isn't it? Hardcore. Yeah, he gets stripped of his rank from from being a warsmith and being in the Trident and yeah. replaced like a battle line lieutenant because he just performed better. So I guess we start on him actually. Um, the newest member of the Trident is a character called Kroger, who I know you've not read it, Jay, but um, Kroger is actually quite an old character from Storm of Iron, um, one of the main bad guys in that. Uh, he is a warsmith. Uh, well, he was a lieutenant, um, and he's now leader of, a, of one of the battalions. Um, and yeah, he is just chainsword and bolt gun type of marine, just gets stuck in. What we see in this is he's basically the last man standing that goes over a wall. Yeah. And Percy's so impressed, even though he's like mortally wounded. Percy's like, yeah, pretty cool. Well done. Um, everyone else around you died, and your captain was on the back line watching the cannons. How weird. And that captain was one of the Trident who gets deranked, um, depromoted. Um, but Kroger's a good one because he, when we first met him in 40k book, Storm of Iron, he is a fully fledged corn berserker essentially. Um, mm. All the other Trident and all the other Warsmiths don't go near him because he's just an absolute maniac. He's got no interest in strategy. He's just all about climb that wall, pull it down, get in there, massacre everyone. You kind of see some of that in this, but he's a little bit more there with it. He's just quite strange. Yeah. He doesn't play. Um, yeah, because yeah, the guy he replaces Hardcore, he gets talked to me as well because he is, this is like the several times where he's just, as he said, he's sat at the back line and he's just chucked his men at the walls, which is kind of not actually, they're not death guards. It's kind of not how Perturabo wants to do war. He, I mean, he doesn't like love his soldiers, but he doesn't want to just, it's not logical to just Absolutely. throw people at walls. Yeah. So, it's all about optimization of, of mm-hmm. spend and cost, isn't it? Um, so that's why he got, got demoted for that reason. But And then Kroger, at this point, ha, as you say, has more, not necessarily leadership, but he, like he has, um, how do I put it, like he is personable as a leadership, as in that he will fight on the front lines with you. Yeah. So, and he yeah. thinks different. He's not he's not high born like the, in the you know, um, as like as a sort of underlying class system in Olympia. I think some of them, some of the other members of the Trident are actually like nobility before they were space marines, whereas Kroger it wasn't. So there's kind of like that. I think Perturaba kind of want, likes that aspect, maybe that he isn't a highborn, that he's kind of a... Yeah, yeah I was going to touch on that when I talk about one of the other characters, uh, Honorable Sulaka, later. Mm-hmm. I'll come back to that. It's a, it's a good important, it's a very important bit. I'm actually going to make my notes classes <laughs> i've just written it down um so yeah that's kroger kroger's kind of like our eyes and ears in a lot of it you know we see a lot of it from his point of view um and we sort of slowly see him getting that itchy trigger finger for his chainsaw as the story goes on and like i say for for anyone that's read storm of iron you know why it's because he lives in a demon infused um corn power armor that you know it's like a trigger just switches that trigger on and he just goes absolute berserk mode just tears through armies on his own. Um, so he's quite a popular character. So it's yeah. really nice to see Graham do what Graham does. You know, fair play to some people want to criticise Graham for that. You know, he does thread a lot of his characters through all of his books, but this one feels justified. It's the heresy. They've got to come from somewhere. Um, yeah, there's a bit at the end where he, like, um, they're trying to build these walls on this elder planet and they keep crumbling. He's just getting more and more pissed off. So he walks over to a tech priest, shoots him, 
oh, <laughs> plays his head off, goes to the other tech priest, he starts babbling binary, plays his head off, and then goes, right, your turn, you build the walls. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, it's just like father, like son. Yeah. Um, so um, Forex um, is another one of the Trident. So he's the original one of the Trident that's still in it. So we find out one had died, one had just got stripped, and Kroger replaced that guy mm-hmm. to come. Uh, but Forex was the original one that's already in there. And he's known as the Breaker. Uh, he's a warsmith. He's actually the first captain, which obviously we see a lot of those as sort of, I guess, leading characters in a lot of the stories because they have that. Yeah, like a right-hand man to the Primarch yeah. generally, yeah. Yeah, and and Forex is, again, um, same book, Storm of Iron. Um, when we meet him in Storm of Iron, he's quite miserable with his lot. He's got no passion for anything. He gets no joy. Killing has become a binary one, two, three sort of situation for him. He doesn't get much out of it. So it's really interesting to see him in this where he's a little bit more full of juice and he's, like, good at what he does. Um, but I don't know how much we really see of him in this other than him just smashing stuff up. We do see his slow corruption. Yeah, yeah. Weird, yeah, there's a weird, like, he's kind of like the level head of the Trident. Like, he gives Kroger some advice when he first joins. He's sort of, as you say, but yeah, there's an aspect where he's sort of, when they're in the Eye of Terror, as we find out, they have to, they have to go through it. Um, he sort of gets stuck looking almost out the window, out. Yeah. And it slowly starts to mess him up a bit, so... Yeah, he keeps staring into the uh, into the like raw warp, doesn't he? And he keeps seeing like a skull face everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and again, we that's that's still around in Storm of Iron, which is uh, quite cool. Um. Uh. Next one is the second nearest member of the Trident, and this is where that class thing comes back in again. Is a uh, Barbon Falk, who was mm-hmm. is, is a new. He's not a new warship. He's a new member of the Trident. He actually gets put up for recommendation to be one of the two new replacements in the Trident by Forex and with another um, warsmith. Uh, and Patarabo says yes to Falk, but no to the other and puts Kroger in. So it does that, like you say, that class system thing where there's obviously a way of doing things where Forex puts them forward. But at this time, Patarabo said, no, I want Kroger, purely because of what he's just seen him do, which yeah. I think is quite, quite interesting. It plays on that what's the word yeah that class system situation that they have um which i think is quite interesting yeah so toromino is the other so he's like the master of store kasask yes he's the master of the artillery yeah he's he's the other member that as you discussed that once he's basically you know as the master of like all artillery he's kind of viewed as like well naturally he should be in the trident but he doesn't he basically, um, you see, Pert says to him, no, you've got your place, you've got your role. It's kind of like your job. I don't need you in the Trident, basically. And as you say, he's a high class, high born before becoming a legion. So there's there's that underlying, that I've been snubbed for a job and this lowly Kroger guy has taken my place in front of the whole legion, by the way, as well. He does this, it's like a but, you know, like after they do this battle at the beginning, this it happens in front of all the warsmiths. So it's kind of a bit of a smack in his face. So, yeah. Um, so I think that for me, those are the sort of main main ones to talk about. I don't know if there's anyone that jumps out at you other than. Uh, well, there is one character and I would oh. probably get. Um, I quite liked was Sultan um, Volbron. Mm. He's the stone wrought. And he's the, the character, character, I love his just because like he's the one that sort of 
leads the fortification building because he has this just insane ability of like when he lands somewhere he just like picks up the dirt and goes like just like looks at it and feels it and goes right I, and he knows how to build fortifications on that planet like just yeah, yeah. yes like this it probably is something to do with psychic ability but there's a lot of psychic abilities in marines where they don't realize their psychic ability they're just viewed as having some natural way of doing stuff but it probably is some warpiness in there but he's quite a cool character and he has a great part in the story which i don't know if you want to talk now or later. yeah go for it, go for it. <laughs> he has the bit where they they do like a swap when the emperor's children happen so that um lucius who we find uh, as a peer in the story he goes over to the iron warriors ship and they do a swap and he and another character go over to the emperor's children ship and they go to that theatre where in Fulgrim, you know, like they do that opera and it just makes them insane and creates the noise marines where he gets introduced to that by Eidolon and he's like, this is fucking weird. There's like weird multi-armed slaves like giving him this weird like steamy um, drink that's made from the tears of slaves or something like that and he like drinks it and it's like, mmm, tastes sweet or something like that. <laughs> something weird. It's so like there's a little bit moustache twiddling menacing <laughs> aspect of it but he's like he initially is a, like horrified of what he sees but as he starts smoking this stuff and drinking this stuff he's like I kind of dig this it's kind of like I'm into it and then he keeps Eidolon keeps whispering things into his ear and he keeps falling in like like I could really get into this and you can see like he starts getting taken over by it and then the other character who's been viewing something else just walks over and he's like, he goes, hey, come over here. And then the other character walks over and punches and knocks him out. He's like, you will thank me for this in the morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, good. it's so good. But he's, um, I just like that character aspect of him that he was, has this ability to like just build. Now, they, they always go to him because he has that inane ability, just like knows what to do with the earth when they land, land somewhere. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the only other one I wanted to bring up is uh, Honourable Sulaka, Harry, um, mm-hmm. and he's quite an interesting character because uh, one, when he meets a lot of the Emperor's children that have been wounded later towards the end, and he's trying to patch them up, and they're like, no, 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 leave it. It's quite cool being able to see my heart pump. It says a lot about the Emperor's children. It's pretty dark. <laughs> um, for for fans of the Storm of Iron book and the Uriel Ventress books, what and big spoiler. I'm sure you don't care too much, Jay. Um, that there's a character called Honsu, who's the main bad guy in mm. main protagonist in the Uriel Ventress books. He sort of chases Uriel Ventress across the galaxy for a couple of books, invades McCrag, causes a lot of damage. Um, he's really unliked by the Iron Warriors because he is not considered um, a true Iron Warrior. He is taken from what they say is Imperial Fist gene stock that they stole. So his name's Honsu, and he's seen as a bit of a dirty dog, like sort of, you know, mixing of blood, you know, that kind of thing. So that sort of class system's back. But he works his way up through might and cunning and takes over pretty much everything, leads most of the fucking um, grand companies around. Um, and he was just a line trooper that just pushed and pushed and pushed with power, essentially. But the interesting thing is we find out at the end of the book that Honorable Sakala gets murdered, and his gene seed gets taken and the, on the veil on the vial with his gene seed in it it gets slightly burnt mm. and it's out a lot of the letters so it just says honsu instead of honorable yeah. 
Lucana. Someone we actually find out, and that's a great little nugget from Graham, is that Ponsu yeah. is as pure as they come when it comes to Iron Warriors. He is an Iron Warrior. He's got an Iron Warriors gene seed, um, which I just think is very well done. Very, very nice little touch. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jamie, tell me about the Emperor's Children. So, who are the sort of some of the big players in this book? Four, yeah. So, <clears throat> obviously, there's Fulgrim, um, who, as we said at this point, we, last time I saw him, anyway, in this series, was the end of Fulgrim, where he just killed Ferris Manus, um, and we sort of realised that there's, he's sort of got a demon inside him. And what we, as you said, we thought believed that maybe there was this, there was this, the whole story that there's a picture of him, kind of like the Dorian Gray sort of thing, but like, is he in the pitch? Is he now trapped in the picture? Is the demon take over him and stuff? But what we sort of realise in this book is actually no, Fulgrim is in control, but he's sort of accepted the demon and and is now just like gone on like balls deep into it, just like let's just go nuts, <laughs> let's just, just bring it on. And he's becoming, he's got like all these weird mutants around him. Like anytime he appears anywhere, it just has this like carnival of like horrors follow him. Um, but interestingly, most of the time he still looks normal, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I think around him is getting crazy and crazy. Like all his like captains are getting more disfigured and experimented on. But you and you would think from like from the story that he would like his decoration and stuff, but he's still kind of wearing he still kind of looks what he did before. So it's kind of like that, that weird thing, but obviously inside he's just like getting crazier and crazier. Yeah, yeah, I think um you hit the nail on the head. Like you can jump from Fulgrim to this and it's just Fulgrim. I think mm-hmm. the gap in the middle is um that there was like a couple of short stories as I mentioned earlier where Essentially, he regains his body and, and overpowers the demon within. But the demon within had been sending like nightmares to, to the likes of Lucius and Fulgrim mm-hmm. and some of the higher ups, convincing them that Fulgrim was trapped inside the body trying to get out. So they tried to exercise him and they like, you know, set him on fire and burn his limbs and, you know, cut him up loads. And Fulgrim just laughs it all off because he finds it really pleasurable. And he, <laughs> and he just says, well done to him, essentially. He's like, they yeah. conspired against him. But it was because they love him. Um, so I think that's really cool. And like you say, he still looks like him. Um, you know, the most perfect, beautiful being that he thinks he is. Um, I do he's, love. He's got like ADHD though. He's like jumps across the place. Like it was like no one's business. Like he's does this and he does that, and he's like he just he's like bouncing off the walls constantly. And he's also got that flair for the dramatic, shall we say? He's like he's that guy you know. It's just like. Oh, come on, mate. Let's just get to the point. <laughs> Stop juggling. <laughs> Stop juggling. Come sit down. Yeah. He's um he's such a different character by this point. You know, he's, uh you know, to make his fall mean a lot in Fulgrim, we had to really get to know who he was and mm. kind of misunderstanding that he gets from the corruption of the sword of the pursuit of perfection over actual perfection. The goal is the pursuit. It's about the learning, whereas he sees it as the end game is perfection, which he thinks he is. And I think by this point, he's just arrogance in manifest form. You know, he can do no wrong. He is kind of like a part, not posh, um, a refined Joker meets the Riddler by this point. Like, doesn't trust him as far as he could throw him. Um, And I don't think anyone would. And he knows that he's come to him with a proposition, but 
we know as readers he's scheming beyond scheming um and there's brotherly love but for uh Perturabo will only let that go so far um as we see later when he <laughs> ten tons of shit out of uh out of full rim um but yeah he's he's a really interesting one in this isn't he he, he sort of is a totally different person he's still likable in a weird kind of corrupted way but he's yeah, definitely he's got charisma yeah he's definitely untrustworthy yeah, and I think that's part of the story is like the whole Perturabo thing is actually he's quite close to Fulgrim, weirdly. But mm. um yeah. this yeah, juxtaposition of like he does trust him because of like the bond, but he doesn't also trust him in aspects and he keeps he keeps falling for it a little bit through the story. Like he keeps going and eventually at one at some point he's like, Okay, enough is enough. But he kind of does he is very naive to Fulgrim's antics through the story. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 basically the sort of inevitable foil of the book, isn't he? He's like yeah, yeah. waiting for him to reveal his hand, and Perty's waiting for him to reveal his hand. Um, but he does sort of take it as a mission, doesn't he, to Perturabo's that he sees chaos as a corruption as a, and as a science that he can study and learn, and he wants to redeem all of his brothers and get them off of it. Like he wants to study chaos to the point where he can save the likes of Thorgrim and Horus, mm-hmm. which I think is why he puts up with it. He's basically learning the whole time yeah but yeah i know it, it seems strange to not dwell on fulgrim too much but he i mean he is a big part of the book but he's not he's not the driver of this book it's not about him he's had his moment in the sun with fulgrim it really is about perturabo and fulgrim's there to just sort of carry him on that story um yeah however, he's not we don't see the story from fulgrim's point of view it's no there's very there's i think there are a few bits but not a massive amount um no. but you know the, the the crux of it is Fulgrim is is dragging Paterabo on a mission to utilize his brain and his legion as backup fodder essentially to get what he wants. Yeah. Um, and you know we'll talk about what the Angel Exterminators is later. Um, uh, there are a couple of other Empress Children characters. Um, Fabius Bile being one of the sort of like sea story characters within it, and he's a very famous and popular character. Really big fan of his. I've actually been listening to the. Um, trilogy of his and they're quite entertaining um mm-hmm. he is still he so interestingly i didn't know this until i listened to the audiobooks about fabius bile is he never fell to slanesh he is a chaos space marine but he's got no time for chaos he doesn't believe in them as gods <laughs> he just thinks that they're like malicious entities and he's never fallen to slanesh he's not a slanesh driven dude he's just a scientist that with really corrupt warped opinions <laughs> on things which i think <laughs> quite quite a nice take yeah um, yeah yeah. i mean he, what he does is, is probably very what the gods would like but yeah, yeah he personally yeah, he's just yeah yeah he's, he's there for he's, uh, he's he's had he's got his shackles off now you know his ethical shackles are off he can do what he wants yeah he's always so part that. His, yeah part of his story in this we probably won't discuss later is actually it's sort of a side story about um they capture um uh, imperial fist called felix cassander and we he gets subject subject to Vegas Biles treatments and he gets injected with all these different viruses and things. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's, he keeps surviving because of his immune system, etc. But um, his body's sort of like it's like because it's going in overdrive all the time. It sort of starts mutating and stuff makes him to like this massive, weird, huge, muscly, weird Frankenstein-style monster. And then we realise that actually Vegas Biles created loads of these and they're all a bit not great yeah <laughs> sort of like, um but they they use 
they use, they use these sort of mutants. I think they have a name. I can't remember what they get called. Um, the sexy boys. Sexy boys, yeah. The weirdly hunched, hunchback sexy boys. Um, they get used as like mutant cannon fodder, but because they're all so huge and mutated that they can rip stuff, they can also rip space marines limb from limb. So yeah, it's sort of a side story of that aspect is that we get introduced to the, what he's doing, trying to create the perfect, improve upon the emperor's um, creation, but he's actually sort of failing at this point. He's not. He's creating these weird things. So he sort of, Cassandra is our view into that. And he sort of rebels, actually. He almost, he almost kills Fabius Bar at this point. But um, yeah. yeah, it's just a sort of a side story that doesn't have a huge impact onto the main thing, but it's just quite a little, an insight into that into that world of the Emperor's children. Yeah, it's the genesis of what becomes the spider, like, you know, the character of, of, full, uh, of, sorry, of Fabius. And there are some short stories, I think, that came out after this that cover... Fabius before Fulgrim so I'm, I'm, I don't know if you remember but um, the Empress children had a really unstable gene seed and they just you know they yeah. went right down to like 100 marines at one point and it was through Fabius might be one of the oldest corrupted space marines in that he, he made some very very um, killable offences you know like killing actual marines like murdering them to get their stuff get their gene seed and things to try to help his legion way before fulgrim like when the emperor was running around doing his job so he's always been a bit um what's the right word gray gray area of, of ethics but now mm-hmm. he's free reign to do what he wants but yeah i think it's uh, yeah, like you say it's like a c almost d story isn't it it's, it doesn't take up too much of the book but it's, it's mostly told from the point of view of the imperial fist character that was c- captured who's slowly but surely losing his mind and carving his name in his arm, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to remember who he is. Um, but he yeah. Yeah. Once once he gets set off by Fabius, um, he's he's fully aware of what he's doing, but he can't stop himself, which is really brilliant. Yeah. It was really grim. Yeah, he gets thrown against like, Iron Hand. Like, obviously, they're shooting him. So he, he ends up killing killing one, and then he, like, he was, like screams like the heavens and, like, like, what have I done? I've actually killed a fellow loyalist and stuff. But um, what, so then when he, get, he gets taken up, he does try and he, him and another one, Navarra, they almost kill kill Fabius by until um, eventually Fabius gets the upper hand. But it's kind of like, he's kind of like, oh, the Imperial Fist gene is quite resilient to my... Yeah. To my he quite, views that as quite an interesting aspect. But it's just like, yeah, as you say, it's that view into that other world that's going on. Yeah. Um, a couple more characters we'll just touch on quickly. So you mentioned him much earlier. Lucius is here. Mm-hmm. The thing about Lucius, I don't. I'll, I'll touch on it now, so we don't cover it off in the story side. But Lucius is kind of here doing his thing and and sort of winding up the Iron Warriors. But the most interesting thread he has throughout the story, kind of like plot D or plot E, is his sort of interactions with the Cesophium, the Shattered Legion's um, cell. And Lucius, as we know, every time we've met him, is like arrogant beyond arrogant. I'm the greatest swordsman. I'm the best of the best. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and we get a lot of interactions between him and Sharakin, um, who is Raven Guard, um, survivor of Istavan, who we'll come on to shortly. Um, and, you know, big spoiler, Lucius dies in this book. I was actually a big, because I didn't know that happened in this story so that was like a real like oh shit because <laughs> every up to this point he's not met anyone to match his well, obviously there was a story in the beginning with Loken breaks his nose 
because he doesn't bite underhanded. But um, and that starts off the scarring of his faces, etc. But um, he, yeah, he's never met anyone who can beat him in a sword battle until, yeah, as you said, Shuriken. He beats him twice in this book. Yeah, twice, effectively. He almost kills him the first time until eventually yeah, they, yeah, so, yeah. Um, Rabe, I think, turns up and he's like, oh shit. And yeah. then <laughs> he cuts his face, he does get him. And then the second time round, it's one of those really sick fights you see in a movie where it's just like really swift and quick. Just gets him on his knees and just does the Roman execution. Just drops both yeah, of his right. neck, yeah. kills Fabius, kills kills Lucius like straight away. But it's sort of the first inkling of Lucius the Eternal, not how we know it in the book, in the history, where you know in the 40k world, if anyone takes any pride in his death, that's it. Lucius overtakes your body. But yeah. in, this, in this case, you know, well, I don't do any more spoilers, but we know he doesn't die die. Um, but it was really really great and just says a lot about. Sharikin, who we'll come on to shortly. Um, another character I just want to touch on very quickly is Eidolon, who's now got the name the Soul Severed. So <laughs> Eidolon yeah. is a really interesting character for me. I think he's probably like the proto-Chaos Lord, in my opinion. Like the archetypal who ends up taking a warband for himself, which we see in other books after this. Mm-hmm. He's fascinating because he got killed by Fulgrim in a short story. Fulgrim yeah. cut his head off. And um, then he, uh, Fabius Bile gets permission to bring him back to life. And it's interesting, isn't it, is that he's just not quite there. He's not like a sort of... Um, who was the the monster that helped Frankenstein? You know, like the sort of helper. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Nahimi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, not Igor. No, something like that. But yeah, shuffles around yeah. and carries the tray. He's not quite like that, but he's not fully functional. He's a little bit weird. I just <laughs> really... Funny? It's really great because he used to be the best of the best and now he's like an absolute mess. <laughs> yeah, he's taken a bit of a hit to his pride, I think. Yeah. Um, and he's so like pride in, in those, uh, prideful in those first books, but now he's he's, he's taken a slight hit. There's a funny bit where he's like, <laughs> he's a head in a jar and he's like shouting at Fabius Bar while he's working on his body. He's like, you're not doing it right. Come on, man. Yeah. Just like this floating head. <laughs> Very um like 1980s horror movie comedy. Yeah old Peter Jackson film or something. Um, And what I will say is there's a story after this all about Eidolon running um, his own operation because basically they don't give a fuck about Fulgrim anymore. Mm. You know what happens at the end of this book. Fulgrim fucks off and they just Mm. spend the war doing what they want and they just go on big rampages of of whatever and Eidolon's leading them as the soul severed or the exemplar as he gets called. And I really like that. I mean, I like a good bad guy and he's a great bad guy. He's an absolute yeah. dick. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, so, conscious we've taken up quite a lot of time on the characters, as we knew we would, because there's tons of them. But the last bit that we mentioned earlier, the shattered legions on the uh, Cesophium. So, I'll yes. do a quick run through of what the Cesophium is. Cesophium is a, um, it's like a what they call a highly modified strike cruiser. So it's like um, it, it was the escape ship for a lot of the survivors of the drop site massacre. The majority, I'd say like 90, I guess at least 90% is Iron Hands, it's their ship. Um, but it's got uh, a Raven Guard and a Salamander. I don't think there's any more than that um, on the ship. A Salamander Apothecary and a Raven Guard. I don't even know what Sharikin's raw, uh, job title is in the Legion, but Sharikin is the the, the Raven Gods. He was brought onto the ship wounded from Istvan 5 by um, Sebrik Wayland. 
Um, and yeah, sesafin is a sesafin. Sesafin is essentially a research ship. It's designed to. It's got a lab. It's got a laboratory on it, and it, it's where they do a lot of their sort of experimental tech. It's where they kept a lot of their yeah. precious items of of kind of pre. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pre heresy, not pre heresy, pre unification war. Mm-hmm. Dark age tech. There's all sorts of weird gadgets and things on that ship, and you know it comes in handy later on in other stories. But essentially, the ship is run by uh, an Iron Hand captain, and they are part of the sort of hit and run warfare for the rest of the war, essentially. And the, the two main characters we meet are Sherikin and Wayland. I don't know which one do you want to talk about, Joe? Um, I'll talk about Wayland. He, he, he actually doesn't get too much go in this. He's kind of like the stable of all the characters. And he's kind of a bit more stable, a bit more level-headed, a bit more reasonable um, Iron Hand. Like usually there's a, another character called Ty, uh, Cadmus Tyro who's a bit more like the angry, stoic Iron Hand, typical Iron Hand, where Wayland's a bit more pragmatic, mm-hmm. shall we say. So he's, um, and he has quite, a, as you say, quite a close relationship to Sharakin. So um, he is an Iron Father, so he sort of has that techie role. Uh, as, you say, as we said before, actually, it's not a, doesn't mean tech marine. I know Iron Hand characters, uh, Iron Hand players will probably know more about that anyway. But um, yeah, yeah, he's. In 40k, Iron Father can be anyone. Like you could be a, a chaplain or a, a battle brother, could be anything. Iron Father is like a, a essentially a, a pre Legion, pre Ferris Manus um, title. Basically, just means like you know, technically capable with tech. Um, yeah, but he's not. He doesn't have a huge amount in this book, actually. To be fair, as I said, he's just more of that level-headed, reasonable character that sort of drives the ship in the right direction about where it needs to go, sort of. Yeah, and I think it's um. Uh, when we go on to Sharikin, I think they make a wonderful duo as a sort yeah. of amazing cell, like you sort of uh, Chewbacca to your hand solo, you know. <laughs> Wayland is the the one that will have the tactical schematics. You know, you're you're say say you're Sharikin and you're doing a hit and run with a melter bomb on a tank. Sharikin will know the five ways to exit, the quickest response times, he'll know where the pickup is, you know, he'll have all of that set out for Sharikin. While Sharikin does the sort of baller sniper or whatever it might be, you know, they've got that wonderful, like perfect, you know, like a Premier League team, like the perfect two up front, you know, they're like that. <laughs> Big yeah. Man, yeah, target man and strike man, you know, they've got a perfect, perfect duo. Yeah. Um, but I really like him because, like you say, he's he's the sort of straight man, but he's not like other Iron Hands. I think we've we've had a lot of exposure to Iron Hands in the mm. book, and so many of them are almost like calculated righteous fury and it can get yeah. a bit boring and it can get a bit tiresome you know they can be very hot-headed and they just, like their dad just run straight at fulgrim Wayland's not like that he's very this is the plan this is the way we execute it this is how we escape it this is the risk factors this is the equipment we need you know just have it all down and then you come to sharikin who is raven guard so saved by Wayland on istvan <clears throat> and he's like fully respected and embedded into the sort of officer hierarchy of the Sesophium. Um and he is mental good like he <laughs> might actually be just Batman on crack it's, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. it's almost a little bit too powerful um in the he can do a thing what was it called a wraith slip so wraith slip is essentially being able to move without being seen which 
a lot of readers might have, I mean, I've seen it online, a lot of people have been like, Ugh. so he has the same power as Korax, which essentially means that they just move without being seen. And I think it's a latent psychic power. It's the only way to explain it, in my opinion, is that you can sort of confund people to not be able to see you. But he uses it to great effect and take all that away. He's, like we say, he killed Lucius in a fight really quickly mm-hmm. and he cut his face open in the fight before. So two fights in a row, essentially, that he beat. And we've seen plenty of evidence in the previous books to say that Lucius is one of the best. <laughs> so um, he doesn't fuck around, but also he's just insanely capable with um, like all Raven Guard ranged weaponry. Um, and he's the only known legionnaire to get a sniper hit on a Primarch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that bit's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, cool. So those are our characters. Um, let's jump into some of our favorite plot bits jamie um over to you where, where do you want to start well um we sort of start off on this um on this planet i can't remember the actual name of the planet but they call it the golden citadel yeah hydrocordatus hydrocordatus so that's sort of it's being crewed manned by some um imperial fists and it's quite a cool citadel because it's sort of like self-heals it like anything it's really weird like so like the stones sort of anytime they get hit they sort of absorb the shot and then rebuild themselves and if people come and run at it then they like open up holes and absorb like so characters are like climbing up it and then they'll just absorb them into the wall so it's kind of like a weird xenos tech thing going on um cheating for me cheating yeah it is proper cheating um i just want to quickly um interrupt on oh, there was one thing i was meant to say it's in my notes hydrocordatus this is the first siege of hydrocordatus mm-hmm. guess what guess where it came up before it came up in storm of iron the um previous uh i'm mm-hmm. uh, book they're back there he, he loves a callback yeah. he's, he's already it's <laughs> full of them um but yeah hydrocordatus is the main plot story of the original Iron Warriors book back in the early 2000s. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Um, Every day's a school day. So he's just basically just kind of, I've written, he's kind of written this book already. He's just like, oh, I'll just do this bit. I'll just, where this came from. Where so does, yeah, that's how he does it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's cool. And then eventually, they've held out longer than they should really, but eventually, the siege was, I mean, this is where we had Kroger and he eventually gets on top of the wall and gets face to face with Imperial Fists, sort of like uh, sort of they have a back and forth and then eventually yeah Pat Rabo just drops down and blasts the rest of the inhabitants of, of the Citadel to pieces. And then yeah, it was a pretty cool scene, you know, watching him land. He talks about how his uh Thunderhawk or wherever he comes from is he doesn't have like a special one like all the other Primarchs. Like he just has he just picks one and numbers it. <laughs> And, yeah. and as it gets destroyed, he's like, well, I'll pick another one and use it. So he doesn't have like a special ship. Um, I thought that was quite cool. So it's kind of so him. To be honest. Yeah, it's a waste of uh, 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 time and material, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, so they're there for quite a while, aren't they? And I think it's worth caveating that the Iron Warriors are kind of doing what they want at the moment. They're just taking out a lot of vengeance on Imperial mm-hmm. Fist fortifications and planets. They're just going around going, that one that one this is yeah. which I think, I think it's from taking revenge from this as you talk about that um battle of thou that's what gets mentioned a few times so yeah that was, a, that was a big fuck up on the iron warriors part 
Mm. I essentially got beaten by a lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> got a sting. So yeah, they're, they're kind of doing that. And then eventually, as we said, then we talked about after that, we see like there's like a field promotion for Kroger into the Trident and that's the, the sort of demotion of Harcourt as well as the dismissal of um, Toromino not into the Trident. So sort of that scene sort of builds the feuds in the in the higher ranking people. And then there's like a cool bit. I always visualize this as such a very Forge World, World War One like diorama look is when they're walking back through the trenches to his little labyrinth mm-hmm. bit, as we talked about as well. So that's um yeah that's that's what we sort of talked about this bit as well but when we get to see his inner sanctum with all the plans and the blueprints and and stuff that's quite a wow. quite nice character building for Perturabo in that aspect little toys and his little like drawings of warhammer which <laughs> is absolutely elite like it's absolutely on his drawing desk it's like a little model yeah 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 definitely I, there's there's a scene later on with a um well, I'll just talk about it now, but, because we know he meets Fulgrim, and then we know that Fulgrim um, leads him through the Eye of Terror and stuff, and he's, and there's been, after they fight the Iron Hands, and they sort of, Fulgrim sort of fucks it up a little bit, um, <laughs> he invites him to a ship, and he's, like, saying, oh, he's seen he's working on this tiny, like, miniature Warhound Titan, probably, like, a Warhammer 40k-sized Warhound. It's, like, yeah. tiny clockwork, and he's, like, working on tiny screwdrivers and tiny spanners, and he's like, Fulgrim, like, come have a look at this, Fulgrim. He's like, and he's like, what's a white shame is? Like, no, no, come, come look closer. So yeah. like Fulgrim bends down and he smashes his head into it, and yeah. then like picks up Fulgrim and like pummels him against this um, pillar. And he's just like, do not fuck me over again. Like I am now in charge of this expedition. You will take orders from me. And he's like breaking, completely breaks his face, breaks all his teeth. Um, but I just love that aspect. It's like. Just, Look like just that flip of just smashing his face into that tiny clockwork warhound that he spent ages painstakingly put together. Yeah, just such a great scene. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's very very cool. It's a very cool opening. Uh, sort of that like the the hydrocortators. Uh, yeah. You know, we get to see the Iron Warriors applying methodical siege work from uh, ordnance. You know. Like getting getting to see the, the the level of the shells landing to a point where it's just a constant rhythm, you know they just have all of that sort of underlying warfare is a a mechanical mathematical precision thing. It's not emotion, you know. You just mm. see that all the time. It's open. Um, there's a cool in this world when he says about the labyrinth. He says I've bought he bought two, and he's like, oh where's the uh he's like where's the other one, and he's yeah. like oh I gave that to my um eighth legion brother it's an imitation of this labyrinth um to have to have have his sport with a uniquely capable prisoner yeah yeah so he knows yeah Volk is alive at this point yeah yeah definitely yeah and it's pretty brutal that that whole that whole situation weird to give it to Cruz, but i guess they've all sort of got their own ways of having relationships with each other (laughs) giving like psycho he's mad Maybe it's just like I do not want to spend more time with you, so just take this labyrinth and leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. So um, go, go on to sort of my next favourite bit, sort of in the opening, sort of couple of chapters, the sort of arrival of Fulgrim. Um, yeah, it's nice. like it's quite interesting because Iron Warriors have been doing what they want, you know, pillaging and 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 smashing off Imperial fists as they find them, and then 
out of nowhere an entire armada of well i think it's the entire armada of uh, the emperor's children just arrives in battle formation like ready yeah. to attack them because they're all at low anchor around the planet the iron warrior uh, you know, again i'm assuming it's the majority of the legion and fulgrim arrives just in complete perfect as ever complete perfect formation <laughs> ready to attack so obviously it puts the shit in um in into perturabo but it's interesting they do just sort of parlay like hello we're here to say hi and yeah, and he's like, I'm coming. It's like I'm coming down. Like there's meant to be like a whole, you know, back and forth. You know, we'll, we'll get prepared and stuff. And Fulgrim's like, no, I'm turning up now. Coming to planet side. <laughs> and I really yeah. like the way they arrive. So you've got the you've got the, the Iron Warriors who have like got into their best dress and they've got like a big parade ready. They've got all the the warriors sort of lined up and you know in perfect uniform and clean. They've got the banners out. All the tanks at salute. And then the Emperor's children land in like hordes and hordes of Thunderhawks and Stormbirds and whatever, and it's just a rabble, and it's quite <laughs> just a, a, just like a carnage, yeah. carnival of horrors. And it's like a pink yeah. mist rolls in front of them, and it's just no formation, no organisation, just thousands of Marines with hundreds of thousands, I imagine, of just humans, like, but they don't look like humans. They're like stitched together and like all banging each other as they're walking, and you know, one of them's probably got his knob cut off you know they're just yeah it's like every grotesque thing you can imagine and that's when Perturabo immediately realizes just how quickly his brother's like fallen to yeah. to whatever he is and they don't really know at this point do they I mean Perty definitely doesn't really know he thinks chaos is something he can learn <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's kind of yeah, as you said like people just like being trampled by their own people and stuff it's just like not in Hill Carnival on steroids like times a billion just yeah. off its face. Here and all sorts. It's um, yeah. You know, the first thing I always think of when I think of a sort of human cultist level Slaneshi follower around the Emperor's Children is the guy with the dildo knife in Seven. <laughs> that level of extreme. It's just that. Yeah. Um, pretty brutal. Um. So what else happens in the beginning? It's quite important. Well, essentially, Fulgrim invites him along on a journey, doesn't he? It's like, I'm going to get you the most amazing weapon ever, and I need your help. Yeah, but he says, like, yes, first of all, before I tell you, is you have to build this amazing amphitheater that you've created. So he literally tasks his entire legion, and he builds, like, what would take years and years for, like, us to build. He builds it in two days. Yeah. This perfect um, amphitheater, and then Fulgrim does this whole play and he, and, he, and he goes through the story about the elder and the angel exterminatus and it's about god being imprisoned and that's what the eye of terror is it's like his yeah it's the prison of this elder god um and it's in, and what we'll go there is we'll find the weapon and it's the most powerful weapon in the universe etc and it will end this war super quick but i need you because i know you can see the eye of terror and you've always seen the eye of terror I sort of need your legion to, and he kind of insinuates that he needs his help to get through it and unlock it. Um, yeah, exactly that. And um, am I right in thinking the amphitheater that he builds is based on a design from ancient terror history that he had like already in his like, you know, in his locker? I think, it, no, I think it's one he's he's drawn and he said it's one of his first designs he's ever, he ever created. Like he's... Yeah. But it's and it probably is based, as you say, based on an ancient Greek one. But it's his own design. But he's never, as his aspect, Petrarbo's never had the comp. It's almost like a confidence thing of, like I'm never going to build it. I just draw them, 
and Fulgrim like kind of in a initially you think it's kind of nice like well you know I'm going to push you to make something well I realize it's all with, just uh, yeah. friends with buying and painting Warhammer <laughs> yeah build it you need that in your life <laughs> you're not part of our brain. do it um yeah. so i think it's at this point that we meet the the wonderful shuriken and wayland which is like mm-hmm. a really important bit in the opening of the book fulgrim's doing his big overwrought explanation on stage with perturabo explaining about the ayatero and then out of nowhere whip crack takes a massive bullet to the head <laughs> yeah they're like they hear fulgrim's speech and they're like talking about this weapon and anything they're like you got to take the shot <laughs> you can't you cannot let this and it's kind of like almost they didn't even stick around to see if they killed him or not because they know they have to get out there but it's kind of like we just have to just have to do it i mean painstakingly takes you know account for all the wind increase and stuff and he just gets some and then we find out the shot goes from one temple and it doesn't break his skull, so it goes across the front of his, underneath the skin, across the front of his head, and out sort of lodged into the other temple, yeah. almost. The Sharikin records the first sniper hit on a Primark, which is pretty amazing. But like mm-hmm. you say, they get the hell out there, and I love that line. I'm pretty sure it's this book, um, where Wayland drops below the line of the horizon. They're like, don't run on the horizon where your shadow can be seen. Yeah. It, like, he's like, that's the first thing he learned from Sharikin, was drop below the eyesight of a horizon so that they don't see which way you're going and they do that really sick breakout where they're getting chased by like land raiders just smashing through walls and yeah after them. but basically got two legions chasing them because they've just floored a primark which is hilarious <laughs> and then yeah as you said there's shuriken gets he almost gets stuck in the middle of like this mining pit from when they built the amphitheater and like surrounded and then wayland has somehow got to their thunderhawk and he just comes up over the tree line and just like starts blasting. And this is where you see like the knots are actually really impressive, like piece of kit. So he just starts blasting away land raiders, just like boom, 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 and it just drops like get in. Yeah, it's so sick. I would love it if they did a whole comic book series of their adventures. Yeah, they, yeah, it would be cool. Like I mentioned earlier, just on a sidetrack before we recorded, um, I've just finished the Sons of the Selenar and uh, Fury of Magnus, which are like Graham's two. Uh, they're not novels for Siege of Terror. They're like novellas. They're both only about <laughs> six hours long. And The Sons of Selenar is all about the crew of the Sisyphean. Um, and yeah, they're just so baller. They're so cool. <laughs> they're just <laughs> everything I love about crack squads of just the best of the best. It's very cool. Um, okay, so obviously we're not going into heavy details about the plot. Where what happened, Where do we go next? What's the next sort of important bit within this story? So uh, Pertorabo signed on. He's like cool i'll come with you but as readers we understand perty doesn't absolutely trust them yeah so it kind of is then is on the travel to to the ayaterra and they've we find out that fulgrim's got a elder guide um i can't remember his name what's his name oh well we thought we find it's his one is karuchi vohora mm-hmm. i can't remember uh yeah he's, he's the other guy that fulgrim when he talks about like i know the way but they have to go he has to go the paths like the safe way and then we also find that the seraphim guys um they've got also got their elder guide and because they know that uh, but he knows the below paths who's called varuchi vahora so readers will go hmm 
that seems odd that these two elder characters who are helping um yeah helping helping space marines they've got the same last name so yeah um so they realize that they but they got like a shortcut shall we say they can go through the pass under so it's slightly more turbulent but um yeah so it's kind of a race a race to where this planet is in the eye of terror to reach the angel exterminators first and then in this point is probably where we see a little bit more of the inner workings of the iron warriors and the empress children so as we talked about that scene where captains are swapped so we talked about how yeah they go to that theater on the um on the fulcrum ship and it's just yeah. fucking bonkers drinking tears of slaves as you do friday night a lot of weird stuff yeah and then um we see lucius is actually on the iron warrior ship and we see like a cool there's quite a cool scene where they have like this big meeting place where um it's kind of like um no one holds rank isn't it a kind of what do they call it a lodge a lodge it's kind of like a lodge but it's oh, like the whole the, the iron warriors lodge yeah and and like it's sort of known it's not secret it's kind of like where they all mix and discuss things and it's kind of like a kind of like in greek like the forum where you'd go to talk about business and things like that so um we find actually there is they've got a holographic table of the emperor's palace and they play war games on it they play warhammer basically and they try and defeat like siege it and try and defeat it and everyone gets like wiped out instantly because it's so well defended and kroger challenges Perturabo who's there mm-hmm. and he I'm mean, just amazed by like how quickly Perturabo defends defends it so well and like he's like Kroger you know, they can see that everyone's cheering him on like you can got him here and you got him here and then Perturabo just like nope stomp that unit out stomp that unit out and like playing it out and like he unleashes the custode the custode guard and stuff like that it's pretty cool and then they go right let's play a role reversal so it's like all his captains versus Perturabo Perturabo lages lays siege to it and he wins he actually defeats the the palace so yeah. it's kind of like a as you say future stories from here on is like actually Pedrobo could do it like he he has the knowledge and the, and the know-how to sort of break the siege if he wants to yeah, man. um it does yeah so that's, that's quite a cool scene there's lots of little cool scenes um but and then as they're traveling through the warp the stereos film we meet a character who is an iron hand character is frater thematica i think that's how it's it thematica yeah he's like kind of like the mad professor iron hands and he's doing an experiment where he's trying to meld like it melds things together like on a particle level like he's got these two spheres doesn't he and he tries fires a beam at it and it sort of melts the spheres together like at a basic atom level and it could be like a really cool weapon yeah but he does it while they're in warp transit (laughs) (laughs) and it blows it blows up i mean i i genuinely believe having a laboratory on a spaceship is a really bad idea anyway but (laughs) i guess necessity is the the means but yeah doesn't he essentially nearly destroy the ship yeah uh, he like 
drains all power from the ship and also sets up a massive beacon to where <laughs> to where they are. So yeah. obviously Fulgrim and Petrava go, oh, someone else is here now. <laughs> yeah. Shit. And they go after them. <laughs> it causes them yeah. They, um, I think they discuss maybe blowing them out of the sky. But I think it's one of them, maybe Fulgrim, is like, no, I want to board them and take them down for yeah. shooting me. Basically, it's kind of like revenge for the taking a sniper shot at him. Yeah. Um, and this is where we see Favis's Biles concoction of weird mutants, and they all get loaded into boarding torpedoes and just thrown up the iron hands. Yeah, I love that idea. Just filling up filling up a boarding tube with just unknowable whatevers, not no idea what they're going to do, and then just chucking them on a ship and causing utter carnage. It's very Favius Biles. Yeah. Big fan. Um, yeah. And I think eventually uh, the Iron Hands put up a real good fight, though, don't they? They. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they defend the ship well, and Sharikin gets in a fight with Lucius, his first of many. Well, first of yes. two. Um, and wins, even though they get split apart, cuts his face open, really annoys Lucius, and puts him yeah. on Lucius' kill list. Yeah. Um, I prefer where we see like, a bit of respect, don't you? Because he, the other hand, where they defend like, the whole landing bay, and he's like, he's like, quite, eventually, obviously, he comes down and smashes, like, smashes rhinos away and stuff, but he's like, kind of impressed with their resilience. He kind of has a he kind of likes the Iron Hands in a way. Like he understands, yeah. them, has a big respect for them. Yeah. And then eventually, when he's trying to break down the door into the rest of the ship, um, they get a warning that actually, Frater um, Formatic has had a sort of as a plan is that he's gone right. Well, I'm going to blow up the ship with you on it. Three <laughs> hundred so, Marines in a ship is a small cost for two Primarchs. Yeah, exactly. So he's kind of like Perov is like well played <laughs> and then they're like right everyone yeah. off <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah through his, I mean, through his fuckery that they ended up on the ship anyway but he did save the day with a good ultimatum yeah yeah, yeah. um and then they kind of all get separated again don't they the um uh the baddies the the, the traitors carry on to the planet yeah, i can't remember they play oh i never need to read it but there's a bit where what he does he eventually doesn't he doesn't blow up the ship and he lets off another a smaller ship as well, doesn't he? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember now what happens. But basically, um, oh, what they do is they engage the warp drive and they basically blast through Falcon's ship mm-hmm. and one of his ships. Like as they're blowing themselves up, they he manages to channel it into the engine somehow, mm-hmm. and they basically <laughs> he just drives through like blast through Falcon's ship and it just blows up a whole like whole um cruiser like mm-hmm. their, their small ship just takes apart one of Grum's ships and Perravo is just like again it's just like well played <laughs> love it oh yeah because when they, when they warp drive jump essentially it's like that you know the um second star wars new yeah. it's like that you know when she does the sacrifice of the ship just splits one of them in half which is really cool i don't know why they don't do that more like yeah, take- but, and they survive. They sort of damage their ship because I, I guess the like the prow is so well bulked up, yeah. um, and it's so small, like it just sort of like a bullet hole through it, but it just causes yeah. the whole ship to sort of blow up. Um, and he just sort of this is where he afterwards Fulgrim, this is where Pedro Rabbit sort of takes it out on Fulgrim and does that whole face smash into the table. It's like yeah. you fucking idiot. <laughs> like you're 
chaos crazy mutant band kind of almost cost us and it cost you your own ship almost cost us so yeah, yeah. you fucked up i'm in charge now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I quite like that that idea of like you say earlier where the iron warriors still see themselves as pretty much a functioning legion and then you've got <laughs> this like carnival of stuff and then you go you're boarding action onto another ship which they've all done a thousand times imagine that that you're 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 perturabo going onto this ship with your men and your iron circle and then surrounding you are just like mountains of monsters and perverts. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, people too busy wanking to actually kill other iron hands or something. So it's kind of like, <laughs> well, and pick up a gun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's sort of like the major middle bit of the book, isn't it? It's it's the, it's the getting from A to B is the chunk in the in the middle. With lots yeah. of like, say smaller bits like the war game and the sort of um, the the uh, what's it, honourable Sulika talking about like what's going on over there and it's, mm-hmm. it's it does you know I love Graham um, friend of the podcast but um, mm-hmm. it, it, the middle bit is slightly slower it does feel like it was padded out a bit too much uh, yeah I mean it's it's all really good character building and. Um, yeah, it builds in, if you're really, like, I think it's for people who are into Iron Warriors, like, it adds yeah. more, um, if you're really into Iron Warriors, you probably really like this bit, because it adds more depth to their characters, and yeah. as well as if you're into Empress Children as well, it probably adds more bits into the into their characters, and I think yeah, it shows. Like, well, I've got a nearly 4,000 point 40k Iron Warriors army, Yeah, pretty so much loved it, but I would do, you know, like, like both of us do, we do a bit of research online, and the sort of general consensus is it's a bit long in the middle. I think it does feel just a really strong beginning and a really strong end, and the stuff in the middle is more flavour and, and extra like texture to the legions, like you say. So, yeah. But um, I, can't, I can't think of anything else that majorly stands out in the middle bit. Oh, there's that really good scene with um, Sharikin sneaking around on the ship, Sisyphean, and he sneaks up on the Apothecarian to check up on some of the wounded brothers and no one ever sees him walking around and the uh, salamander's apothecary just turns around and looks up at him. I can't remember what he says. Is it like he's walking around he's, to all these days? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Always like, um, you're doing that thing again. It's like, yeah. he's like, how do you see me? It's like, yeah. well, <laughs> we were like born in fires and darkness and stuff. So it's kind of like, I've got red eyes, mate. Like, red I've got basically infrared vision. Come on. Yeah, that's very, very good. I, I do and like they're like almost like because they're not especially close not like Wayland and and Sharikin, but they're two brothers in a separate legion you know yeah I like that um yeah so I think the, the the crux of it really comes to them getting to I can't remember the name of the planet now it's completely escaped me um I'm gonna have to go back well it's, at this point as well they give it the name of the Eye of Terror like Perturab it has like a sort of standard you know by net numeral name and Petra was like that really is not kind of good enough for what this is yeah so he just makes it the eye of terror yeah Idris so yeah the key the key point, point of the story is obviously them getting to the angel exterminatus um which is on the planet of Idris which they're led to very precariously um by their Eldar um seers or whatever they are um and yeah it, it's a weird one because like I said earlier we've got the context of knowing a lot of the 
sort of major Xenos races within the game and the lore. Um, but even though Eldar are quite well known, obviously, by the um, humanity as a whole, they've never really gone and wandered around their planets before. And it's a very bizarre planet. Yeah. Like, I always imagined it being crunchy every time I've read the book. Imagine what yeah, it's it. kind of like crystally, crystally crunchy. Yeah. Yeah, it's very um, bizarre. And if you look at the cover of the book, it's got that sort of ethereal green glow everywhere and Eldar buildings all look like they look like plant vases. <laughs> you know, they're like all very <laughs> shapes. It's all very unnatural. But the planet's Yeah, cool. it's basically a tomb well, it's a tomb yeah. world, isn't it? So yeah, it's an entire city built in honour of the dead. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation, but it's Amon Sheikh Kalish, which is like the citadel that they're heading to, which is where Fulgrim says is the is the weapon essentially mm-hmm. um so what are some of the key points that happen here so when they arrive again petrov is like well i'm in charge and then we're going to set up um how we normally do this he basically bombs the shit out of a landing zone destroys like entire um bit of buildings and then they try and when they land they do they go into that there you know like clockwork routine of building a fortress around the landing zone but they can't because every time they try and build a wall it just sort of crumbles on top of each other um so it's like really frustrating the iron warriors and like as i said the guy who's like the um the stone rot he's like just can't he's like it's just not going to work like he just, he just there's nothing about this planet that would just sort of acts under normal um construction so again, it's where Kroger again at one point, it's like there's loads of Admech characters and he says so just shoots one in the other head, shoots the other one in the head, like, right now, please build me a wall that will not fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. So they do they do all that and there's this kind of like are they then they build get in loads of set up all their artillery and get in loads of rhinos and then they go closer to the main palace, which obviously, you know, entire planet big palace probably going to be that's where your MacGuffin thing is going to be in that so they travel to there and then they set up again set up like a mobile fortress out of made out of um rhinos yeah they've got slightly modified rhinos that have like additional armor panels that like fold out so you can make like mini forts which is awesome and i wish fort world made them yeah, they're pretty cool. And like two make the doors so they open up and close the doors. Honestly, dude, um, it's, it's how I use them in my 40k army. Genuinely, ask James based on this book. So I use them as mobile <laughs> walls. So like I, yeah. if I, I'd like park them across spaces I didn't want to get hit from the side. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really cool. But as they're traveling, they see like all these murals of Eldar, so they're dead, and but it's covered in these as we know, spirit stones, gemstones, things. But they're like, and there's loads of like statues and stuff. And we're like, as readers, we're like, these things are probably going to come to life. Like, watch out. But they just view it as like a massive monument to the dead. They don't really understand understand that aspect, do they? No, no, exactly. It's very bizarre. Very, very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they have two titans as well. So they have two reaver titans with them. Oh, I forgot about that. They do, don't they? Do the um, Eldar have any war machines? Well, yes. Because, uh, they have on the gates on either side, there's two huge wraith 
I can't remember what the Wraith Titans are called. Um, um, oh, blah, 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 blah. it's gone right out of my mind. Um, Scott has two of them. Uh, I'll quickly look it up. Wraith Knight. Well, they're the, they're the Titan version. Oh, uh, Eldar Titan. Phantoms. Yes, that's it. So there's two phantoms yeah. um, either side of the gate. So basically that's and as and as as our Perturabo and his Iron Warriors in nice formation, you know, travel up to this city, this palace and enter it in an orderly fashion. Emperor's children have got loads of civilians with loads of like these weird glass containers on their backs and they're just like dancing crazy all the way up there, not in any orderly fashion at all, which is sort of driving on his nerves a bit. Um, yeah, so he takes, Petrova takes his trident with him, uh, the trident with him, and he leaves other captain, I can't who he leaves outside again. Is uh, it? I think it's Forex. Forex, yeah, he leaves Forex outside. And he leaves Toromino is in the in the landing site with his hard, artillery. Um and they go in and it's like a labyrinth basically. So Pedro was like, oh, okay, this is why you brought, this is why you brought me. Yeah. Is that basically you need me to get you through this labyrinth. Yeah. So yeah, so that's how they sort of get to that aspect. Needs his bloody big Yeah, and it just it's just like it doesn't make again, so it's like unsolvable labyrinth, but he's like I know these, and he, he solves it and gets into the, the centre of this palace, and it sort of becomes it's like a weird giant dome, mm-hmm. um, but it's like a light source going right to the top of the dome. It's, it gets really xenosy weird, basically yeah. inside. Yeah. Um, quite hard to describe. I think Graham does it a better job than we will. <laughs> it gets weird. Trust <laughs> us. Yeah. So it's like, and it's full of those. Uh, Full of the stones, isn't it? This full of the soul stones. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's worth touching on that. Is that um, a lot of the Emperor's children outside have started like smashing up the statues for fun and getting loads mm-hmm. out of it. Like one of them does it offhandedly, and he like shudders in pleasure. And they've all just started doing it because all of the soul stones are in the statues. So you know, Slanesh is just rewarding them for it's like a little sniff of, of of drugs. They're getting like a little buzz. <laughs> yeah. So they just go nuts on it, um, and they're obviously linked to what Fulgrim is about to do. Um, yeah, exactly. And then I'm trying to think what happened. And then also, the Varesian outside to start killing his own troops. Oh, I can't remember that. Who was yeah, that? Yeah, he just goes nuts. Like, um, I think from the Soul Stones or something, I can't remember what triggers it, but um, he starts to start, they just start killing each other. Like, butchering each other and everyone and all the iron warriors in like the rhino fortress is like what the fuck is going on yeah. um, and, that, and then that's when the wraiths start attacking properly like they're climbing yeah, over like it, yeah this is when yeah, it starts triggering yeah all these statues start coming to life so yeah. basically just as the empress children like butch the half of themselves start snapping out of it and then yeah as you say all the wraiths wraith knights wraiths um they all start coming to life, basically. And like this green mist as well keeps like building up around it as well. So, um, yeah, it's like um, Forex. He goes out in like his Terminator group, doesn't he, to go and confront um, Raven and his, you know, weird face that he's got at a minute. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And as as they're confronting each other, yeah, all the wraiths start coming coming alive. So they sort of, and he just sort of snaps out of it, doesn't he? He's like, right, got to get back to the fortress, and he sort of becomes a marine again. So like, yeah. totally weirded out by it. But yeah, it's um, yeah, they have a massive fight going on at the house, basically against millions and millions of Eldar, um, who are like ghost-like, aren't they? They're not like fully real but they can still sort of shoot them um yeah the, it's not quite something we recognize so like there's definitely wraith guard there and wraith lords. i mean you can see them on the cover of the book i think like you know we've seen those a million times in the game but a lot of it's ghosts like ghost guardians and ghost howling banshees and stuff like it's quite different to what we recognize but i guess we've never really seen eldar on a home planet that's a graveyard before so it's yeah, a favor yeah. So you've got that going on, and then you've got the Percy and Fulgrim bit going on. Eidolon's with him, right? That's uh, Yes, yeah, he is, yeah. And he's taken, he's in charge of all the civilians with all these glass containers. Um, yeah, and yeah. they basically perform a ritual, don't they? Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, and yeah, and as, the, as they're inside, all the braves start attacking all the all the Iron Warriors and the Empress Children, etc. But there's like a whole, like it's like a passage down into like the center of the planet and Fulgrim like disappears and yeah. Perrabe is like he's fighting the race and stuff he's like this is not good at all yeah. so he follows him down and then he has like a sort of it's like really far down and there's a whole discussion about his own character and about what he's doing etc as he as he travels down and down until eventually he finds Fulgrim and like basically in the center of this planet um becoming starting a ritual to unleash his own demonhood basically yeah and it's pretty grim isn't it because Eidolon has to stab him with is it with the anathema the knife that transported Horus into the warp coma and yeah so he yeah so the fulgrim's down there isn't he stabbing him pulling the wounds open and oh not quite yet first of all he he can no he's getting he's putting all these um I think he's getting all the soul stones and then he's put you know that cloak that he gave Pertorab at the beginning that has that like stone in the I remember that. um in like the like in a clasp yeah. and it basically drains Pertorabo's power yeah. from him and it captures him and so he's now really weakened and he's trying to stop Fulgrim he's realized what Fulgrim's doing like he's basically gonna fuck everyone over for his own for his own gain there is no weapons to help the cause um, so he's trying to stop him, but he's just got no like physical power anymore. He's just so weak. Um, and then he sort of tries to stop him, and I think Fulgrim stabs him, and then like races back up to the top yeah. through the through the passage, and like drops him on in front of all the other Iron Warriors, and they're like, "Fuck! What happened? What happened?" And then yeah, all the civilians start doing their shit, and he starts. But that, that's when Eidolon starts stabbing him and shoving stones into his into all his wounds, like pulling them open. He's just getting gross. So, I mean, it's pretty graphic, like he put his hands in one and ripped it open wider to get more yeah. stuff in. So graphic. That's yeah, it's a big snake man. Yeah, oh yeah, and exactly from that from that ritual, he becomes yeah, he just absorbs all the all the soul stones and becomes comes freaky four-armed winged serpent demon um but there's a whole the whole i think one of the key aspects is the the clasp stone 
yeah he, he needs that um, because it has the power from Perturabo and Perturabo has it um and then they fight it over and it gets lost and Perturabo's like do I destroy it do I lose my own power if I destroy it etc and then that little mechanical bird from the iron hands guy yeah. grabs it <laughs> and takes it away um yeah, and that, so that there's all this fighting going on between Eldar, between each other. Iron Hands turn up and start cleaving their way into them as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um, it's like carnage in there. It, it, yeah. It's a point in the book where it just gets like, I read it quite quickly because it just goes like at a full pace. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I probably could read it again to sort of understand it a little better, but I just, it's really good. So you just want you just want to get through it because like oh it's all kicking off now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I said, with the sort of middle lulls a little bit, and I guess it's because it ramps up so much at the end, so it's kind of like a swing of, of excitement, you know. But yeah, I guess sort of wrapping it up. Then I guess what? How does it all end then? What sort of the main key takeaways? Fulgrim's a big boy now. Yeah, and he sort of just um he disappears. Yeah, well, they destroyed. I think they destroyed the stone, like they're from. When he sort of uh, really sort of gives Petrabo his strength back, kind of really rocks Fulgrim, like it hurts him or something, and so he sort of fucks off. Um, the Iron Hand, I think the Iron Hand, this is when Petrabo again acknowledges the Iron Hands as like well played, and then he's like, right, we're getting out of here because the planet starts then like falling to pieces, it stops um, whatever was con- like stopping the warp. It's like it's right near a black hole, isn't it? Yeah. So whatever's stopping the black this world fall into the black hole fulgrim whatever he's triggered and done to himself that, that's no longer the case so this world just literally starts tearing itself apart yeah so yeah. he sort of just like gives the iron hands a nod of like i'll see you again at some point <laughs> thanks guys like, yeah i'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go um and then outside we find out actually that this whole inner battle between the Iron Warriors and like the different class Syrians, um Toromino has actually fired his own artillery on his on his own Iron Warriors. Yeah. And so because he wants to get rid of um he wants his place into the trident to yeah. um do that. So there's kind of inner fighting going on. So um, yeah, so they are basically blowing themselves apart as well, as well as the Wraith. Um we find out eventually the there's a scene where like one of the phantom titans just falls eventually down <laughs> and is out of the green mist as as both the reavers have been both been destroyed as well oh. this just, again yeah. this, the whole end of this book is carnage <laughs> yeah it's a heavy cast and i think it's worth noting that the planet destroying itself is a massive gift to slanesh from fulgrim because that is probably untold millions of souls for slanesh yeah, yeah pretty rad um so what's the main leaving point then other than fulgrim being uh the imprints i guess it's 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 per- the story of perturabo isn't it? it's him basically saying i'm going to end chaos for all of my brothers like i'm going to study it and learn it and get rid of it yeah well the, yeah as we find out is that he as they're trying to escape the ships can't get out of the black hole so he makes a decision of right we're going to go into the black hole then from in the Iowa Terra. So, um, yeah, I guess. And then that's where we lead, as everybody knows, or people might not know, but that's where his story then progresses through chaosy warpness. And he has to be fully 
gets fully in it then because he has to take that decision to go into the black hole yeah so yeah 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 it's um it's a pretty like you say bonkers ending it's very full-on lot going on um note that the Sisyphean gets away with their gang of <laughs> Robin Hood and his merry men get away um and yeah. you know, I think they were just like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite sure how they knew had oh no they had their elder guide as well didn't they but yeah they the other, um, they, they've also got um from a short story prior they've got a like a tracking communicator thing where they can basically monitor a lot of the uh traitor legions comms so they always know what they're doing which is why they're so effective at what they do it's a bit like the um um oh, bloody hell the enigma code you know it's a bit like that they've cracked it um and they know what they're doing but yeah um what's your takeaways jay for this book um i really liked it it's a really good book there's a really good lots of i like perturabo I don't used to like him at all because I don't really know about him. But now I really like him. I want the model. It's a cool yeah. model. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think they didn't really get their day in the sun early on in the heresy because they weren't really major players. I think Graham's done a really good job of, job of making them major players. Mm-hmm. You, you get the odd legion that didn't really do any major stuff front and centre, you know, like your Blood Angels and stuff. Whereas this is like, yeah, you know, he accidentally helped Fulgrim become a demon prince. That's massive. Uh, yeah i think the best part of this book is basically the juxtaposition of the emperor's children and the iron warriors yeah. and just the ex- exploration of their two legions um yeah it's just a really cool character I, I think we can tell because we spent so long on the characters it's just a lot of very well written oh, cool yeah. characters in this book um yeah. and i think it's just their story and like some of the, just their interactions between each other, as well as like having a few like cool big names like Lucius and stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's the characters in this story. The characters are really just really great. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I love it. Um, there's not many Graham books I don't love, um, or heresy books really. They all offer me something. I think I remember reading this when it first came out, what like eight, nine, ten years ago, whenever it was. And it just really captured me out how good it was. I wasn't expecting a deal. Just like you, wasn't that invested in Iron Warriors. And then this, this, and then when I read Storm of Iron after, um, really kicked off my I must collect Iron Warriors phase. Um, So yeah, yeah, big, big fan of this book. I think it's um, one of Graham's stronger for sure. Um, And like I said, I think read Fulgrim and this back to back and it's a real treat because you just get this big sort of heavy Fulgrim centric story it's very complete um which is awesome um but yeah i think um we should maybe wrap up jay any parting words you want to give out to the listeners um read it <laughs> it's good yeah. or listen to it it's really good um i probably we've already didn't do the story just i think i think we as you say it's we spent a lot of, long time on the characters and i think the story is really good. I think we just rammed right through it to, and caught out a few yeah. a few good bits. There's there's a lot in there. It's a long it's a long book, and I think I think people would enjoy, especially if you're not into like super chaosy stuff. I think yeah. it's just a great exploration of just like the legions themselves. It's, it's yeah, it's interesting, and it's, it's alludes to so many other things at this point. It's a book that does have. An important part in the Horus Heresy, so yeah, I think it's probably not really you couldn't miss. A really astute point, Jay. Is it, I guess we should have touched it earlier, just while we wrap up. It's mm-hmm. kind of uh, how does a traitor legion become a chaos legion? 
without <laughs> a specific god because we've seen yes. we're watching that happen whereas these aren't they're, they're chaos undivided you know they don't follow any specific they're just bad boys um and <laughs> the, the different ways of corruption you know their corruption is that they were just too single-minded um and they just got bent by everyone else you know they, they ended up flexing for everyone else and it corrupted their values very very quickly um and i think that's really really interesting yeah good point um cool i think that just about wraps up the episode is there any way uh, is there anything you want to um point our listeners to jay uh social medias or anything like that uh yeah look at our instagram it's got cool stuff on i've it's all your stuff I never post <laughs> listeners, but I'm just not as good a painter as Jay, so I don't want to ruin the algorithm. <laughs> it's mostly because I just, that's the only thing I put, I do paint a lot, but as anything, I'm not saying I'm good, but as anything, I put, that's why I just put all my stuff on that. You were you're on the Warhammer Community Painting Channel. <laughs> <laughs> Luck, I think, Luck more. But I, I, as of listening, so if you listen to this as soon as it comes out, half the t-shirts have gone out. So if you're in, I don't know who, I just, it was just picked. I packed them all. And I put the first, took the first hand, like first group to the post office today. And then I'll hopefully by the time this is out, the second lot will be sent, and they should all be with you in your lovely nurgly goodness. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, very excited, very 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 excited about that t-shirt. It's probably I say it every time. It might be my favourite design now. I might have to relegate the others to the bottom of my. <laughs> it's a great design. Yes, it's really cool. And we'll put up on Instagram again how much money we raised and, and yep. when we when we've done when we've worked out all the costs, etc. We'll 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 obviously show tell let everyone know how much good work that they've done in yep. buying the t shirts and how much we've raised for charity. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we talked about this on a, a another podcast recently. You know, it, it means the world to us and uh, to, to me and Jamie big time, you know, being able to use this um platform to to push good things that we care about so really really appreciate um you, you know uh, investing your cash in something we care about so yeah really appreciate it mm-hmm. cool all right well on that note i'm gonna call it a night um and we'll speak to you soon goodbye peace, peace.